Welcome to Two Guys Talking Youth Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about youth ministry culture, leadership, and strategy, led by two local youth pastors, along with other youth leaders from around the country. Now here's your hosts, Matt Willingham and John Kilowatt. We it's are talking ministry. Yeah, we're this talking is... ministry. We're talking in a way. We're you know just what? straight talking life, life today. Two guys talking life, life. and it's more I like, like it. um, someone's coming in to tell us about life a little mm-hmm. bit. Like it's not even us talking life. No, because we know nothing about well, life. No, to we be haven't. With we you. have not figured out life, let alone uh, really we're just, youth ministry. It's we're just, just like, really two young pups. Yeah, <laughs> two young pup, yeah. two young pups talking life is yeah, what it should be called today. Yeah, still wet on the carpet. Yeah, um, yeah. Being kenneled you, up after you, like you do eight that? o'clock at night. Uh-huh. You, you, like, do that? you wet on the carpet? Well, I mean, that's, you know, like you need to get that I'm checked super out. Tired or I haven't like gone to the like. I, no, yeah, no, no, no. This, I guess, this so. is going nowhere already. Hey, we want to welcome you uh, today for hanging out with us. Uh, two guys talking youth ministry, but PJ's right. We're talking ministry today. We're going to get to our guest in a minute. I'm super excited about having him on today. Uh, but hey, just want to say thanks to all of you who are checking out the podcast, who are sharing some episodes, you're leaving us some reviews. Thanks for the feedback too. Some of you are emailing us questions, you're emailing us, hey, that was a good podcast, and you might be following up, uh, asking some follow-up questions. Some of you are contacting some of our guests, and uh, and so we appreciate that. And if they want to get in touch with us, PJ, how do they ask questions? How do they find out more about us? How do they begin to network with us? Yo, you can hit us up on john at essentialcoaching.us. Just email it or matt at essentialcoaching.us. You could hit us up on Facebook also. Yes, we, we got, are. We've got one of those things. We are on the book. We yep. are on the book. And uh, so today we've got a special guest. I, we told you as we was over the summertime, because I know everyone was getting tired of hearing our voices yeah. because I was getting tired of hearing our we voices. Inspired, over the summer, we inspired a lot of people actually to start their own podcast because they felt like yes. we knew nothing. They absolutely. So like, well, like, well, we've got to something. help. Yeah. we got to help people that listen I, to those guys. I know that there's so. people listening to them, so we got our own thing. So we decided we need to we need to bring other people on yes. to stop the, the podcast traffic. Yes. So we told you we was going to get to some guests this fall, and we've been doing just that. We had Aaron Pino on our last podcast. Yeah. If you didn't listen to that about developing the worship, worship culture and what that looks like in student ministry, that was an amazing podcast. That We'll have him back on, too, to kind of flush some more things out. But today... We have uh, someone that maybe many of you have never heard of, and that's totally cool. We have someone who's been in ministry for a while. He's seasoned. He's a veteran. He's uh, His ministry context looks a little bit different than what it uh, did years ago, but it's yeah. still killing it in the ministry circle. He wrote a book called Hooked to Healed, yeah. and in this podcast, man, I wish, honestly, I wish we had like three hours that we could have spent with him. Um, because that's how good a lot of his stuff is. You need to get his book. I can't stress that. Like, let me can I say that again, John? Stress it. I mean, I'm you a, said you can't. I'm gonna let you stress. You gonna it. let me? Listen, you need like this is a must. You must get his book. It will help you out personally, but it's also gonna help you out in the ministry context, particularly dealing with students. But Henry is actually uh, I've known Henry PJ really my whole life yeah as long as i can remember i guess he has a daughter who's my age that we grew up together we actually call him uncle henry Wow. that's how long i've known it. you don't call him uncle henry that'd be I'm weird start i mean you can if you'd like to i'm gonna call him uncle h though uncle h yeah you'd yeah, probably go with that he's a he's a pretty laid-back guy but uh henry griffin is his name he's from kentucky he wrote a book uh, called hook to healed does a lot of ministry with helping people get past their hurts their hang-ups how to get healed, how to get forgiven, those kind of things. And so he, we're going to take you now to the conversation we had with Henry on his book, Hook to Healed. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Mr. Henry uh, Griffin today, who's the author of Hook to Healed and actually a really good friend uh, of our family and mine. Uh, we've, we've known each other for a while. But Henry, thanks for joining us today, today on Two Guys uh, Talking Youth Ministry. Why don't you just, I know you. But how about you just introduce yourself to everybody who's listening today? Well, I'm actually from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I've been a full-time pastor for 29 years, but also I've worked uh, over 20 years in the uh, Department of Corrections. I worked in Ohio in the prison system there. Uh, Also presently work in Kentucky uh, for Community Mental Health Center where that I supervise a 48-bed residential uh, male substance abuse program. 
Very cool. Very cool. And we've known each other, Henry, for a very long, a very long time. Maybe give our audience just a little, because a lot of times people are like, hey, how'd you know this person? Where'd you meet them? Let everybody know. How, how do we know each other? I know you as Uncle Henry. And so, so tell everybody how, how kind of we know each other. Well, I know Matt's dad. We, we've known each other for about 40 years now. And of course, I've known Matt and Sunshine and uh, his sister Amber ever since they were born, actually. And uh, we used to live in Kentucky, and his dad used to have revivals at the churches that I pastored. And of course, Matt came along, and uh, he used to hang out with my daughter. We have a, I have a daughter just about the same age as Matt, and they used to play together and stuff as kids. And, and so, you know, uh, I've just known the Willingham family for, for over 40 years, yeah. actually. It's been a while. It's been a while. And uh, listen, it's an honor to have you today uh, on our podcast. I have you hanging out with us. And today we're going to be talking about uh, your book, Hooked to Healed. And we'll probably even get into some things in the ministry context and in student ministry. A lot of people listening today, uh, they are student pastors or they're youth leaders or they're, or they're involved in youth ministry. But maybe just give us a synopsis uh, real quick over the next couple of minutes. What, what is Hooked to Healed all about? What uh, what made you want to write it, and, and what is it all about? I, I began writing on this book uh, in 1995, and its beginning was actually a uh, lesson, a youth camp lesson for, for adolescents, for young people between the ages of 13 and 17 was how it began. And then over years, uh, working with young people and working with adults uh, in churches, uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a licensed uh, clinical substance abuse counselor. Um, I, I actually use this material uh, in the jail in which I work in. I have for a long time. And, and, it, and it deals with how that people today don't know how to deal with pain. Uh, they're better at dealing with physical pain, but when it comes to emotional pain, most people really don't know how to do that. And, and because of that, that's why that we have what they're calling today a, an opiate epidemic uh, in our society. Um, it's in all the papers, it's in all the news, because uh, one out of every three Americans in our, in our society is prescribed an opiate prescription drug. Wow, one out of three. One out of wow. three. that's insane, that's insane. And so you look at that ec epidemic, you look, you said back in 1995, you begin to formulate uh, this book and everything. And so what is this book, as you're looking at our culture, even from 1995 to right now, what is, what is this book all about? What are you, what are you trying to uh, encompass in this, in this book? Well, the book's actually entitled From Hook to Healed, Breaking the Yoke of Generational Bondage. And what, what we look at in this book is how that generational pain is passed down from grandfather to father to son uh, to grandson. Uh, we give some examples in the scripture of how that was done. Um, you know, if you want to look at an example like David, um, David was an individual who, who had a lot of pain in his life. There was a lot of rejection in David's life. He passed that on to his son Solomon, who he had his way of dealing with the pain and passed that down to his son Absalom. And all of those three kind of dealt with pain. We, we talk about a, a concept, how that people deal with their pain. Some people medicate it. David was a guy who medicated his pain. Uh, you know, he, he medicated it with women. He was a, a womanizer. And then we read about Solomon, his son. Uh, Solomon was a motivator. He motivated his pain by being busy and being distracted you know solomon built all kinds of buildings he had all kinds of wives he had all kinds of children uh but yet if you read you know solomon's writings at the very end his his synopsis on his life was it's all vanity that's just all vanity and then then absalom david's son you know he he meditated on his pain one of david's uh sons um, abused one of his daughters. The Bible said that David became very angry about that. He was actually Absalom's sister. But David didn't do anything. And Absalom waited three years. And after three years, uh, he invited the, the man, who was also one of David's sons, um, to a sheep shearing. 
and there he killed him. And so Absalom, you know, he meditated on his um, pain, and he became bitter, resentful, unforgiving. Uh, so we talk about that concept of we either medicate our pain, we either motivate our pain, or we meditate on our pain. Man, that's so good. That That is really my mind right now. is <laughs> like exploding just on those three things there. And I know probably instantly this is this is sometimes what, unfortunately, I know youth pastors, youth leaders, you know, people in the ministry context, they're probably hearing this and they're saying, oh, well, he's talking about people in the world and people like this stuff doesn't happen in my youth group. This stuff doesn't happen in, in my youth ministry. So let's kind of turn it to that ministry context, Henry, and even even some of the things with teenagers. What are what are you seeing right now? You said you've worked with students in the past, 1995, you begin working on this. Let's just talk maybe just the state of, of youth ministry or just teenagers in your youth ministry right now. In 2017, what are you starting to see with how our students are handling their pain and, and what, what they're dealing with? Well, you know, we're, we're moving into a society that's becoming more and more isolated. You know, uh, I meet a lot of young people today. When I was 16, I wanted a driver's license so bad I couldn't stand it. I mean, I couldn't wait to get a driver's license. And I'm finding a lot of young people today they don't even feel like they need a driver's license. You know, they've got an iPhone. Uh, they've got the Internet. And they do all of their communication with their friends and their families uh, from their home, uh, from their school. Uh, they, don't, they don't get out and associate uh, like in my generation did. And so there's a lot of kids that, that I find are suffering. I've worked in substance abuse for a long time and uh, actually built an adolescent substance abuse uh, program in Kentucky, a residential program. And what I found, those young people, most young people in our society today uh, start their drug use with, with marijuana. Uh, some of them have experience with drinking, but most don't really like drinking, uh, but, but they smoke marijuana because they have so much anxiety and stress they talk about that they can, you know, smoke a joint before they go to bed and it mellows them out so they can get a good night's sleep. Um, but we're also seeing that escalate into people. A lot of young people have moved to uh, benzos. Uh, they're doing Xanaxes and Valiums are very common among young people today, which both of those are trying to help with stress, trying to help with anxiety. And um, both of those drugs are very dangerous for young people as well as all drugs are dangerous. And then we're also seeing quite a number of young people who are hooked on heroin now and using drugs intravenously. And, you know, again, all of those medications are used to try to help with pain and anxiety and stress. And, and I see young people younger and younger all the time turning to drugs in order to deal with emotional pain that they just don't have anyone to talk about to because they're so isolated. Yeah. And so let's talk about that and let's dig in, into that. You, you, you're uh, talking a lot about the stress, the pain that our students today are facing. What do you, what do you see happening Henry, in our culture today with, with teenagers, where do you think uh, the stress, the pain, and, and then we could talk about, you know, how they don't have people to talk to, but where do, you, where do you see as you talk to teenagers, as you talk to even young men as they're older, where's the stress and pain coming from? Where is it, I know it sounds like some, such an easy question, is it the home life, is it school? What, what do you kind of see uh, that's kind of basically just swallowing up our students today? Well, a lot of it has to do with home life. A lot of it begins there. You know, parents are so busy trying to, you know, make a living and provide all of the things that they have. There, there's so little supervision of young people in the home anymore. Uh, they're pretty well left to, you know, manage themselves. And so when, when that's done, they're, you know, they find themselves experimenting with things you know, not thinking that it's ever going to really get a hold of them in an addictive way. You know, they just do it out of boredom. They do it out of fun. They do it out of, you know, trying to fit in. But before long, you know, they get hooked up with, with older people. What I find is a lot of young people that are doing drugs and involved in that, they've got older friends. You know, 16-year-olds have friends that are 26, 27 years old. And because of the absence of parents, you know, they look at these older adults 
uh, could be even older brothers, you know, and they take on that parental role. And so whatever, you know, those guys are doing, that's what they're doing because they want to fit in. I hear that. So turning to the ministry context as a youth pastor, you know, I, I hear that and I'm saying, man, stress and anxiety in the home life. And, uh, you know, what you even said earlier in the podcast, one in three Mer- Americans uh, are being subscribed some form of, of opiates uh, type drugs. And it can seem very overwhelming. So turning to the ministry context, uh, Henry, you've you've been all around the country. You travel, you see, you've, you've been involved in ministry and, and, and different levels as well. Looking at, at the local youth ministry itself, what would you say are, are a couple things that a youth pastor, a youth leader who's listening today can, can, I, can even begin to curve that stress, that anxiety that students are facing today that is causing them to turn to what they're turning to? I think young people today are really looking for support. Uh, they're looking for some kind of support. I mean, that's what, that's what kids are getting with these older adults that are doing the wrong thing. Uh, a lot of kids that turn to gangs, they turn to gangs because it becomes a family to them. It's a place that they feel they're, they're allowed to be involved, they're, they're included, um, you know, they're rewarded for, for doing things. And I think youth ministry can't be just preaching and teaching all of the time. There's got to be some real one-on-one small group support that goes on with these kids because you know they've got to feel that vacuum uh, that is there a lot of kids they don't play sports you know and there's a lot of pressure on especially boys to play sports and if you don't play sports then then you're kind of left out of a lot of things in our society Um, you know a lot of girls there's a lot of competition about how you look and and things of that nature and so I think it's really important for youth pastors and youth workers to identify these young people in your church that that just doesn't seem to fit in that that one that just doesn't seem to have many friends that sets off by themselves um, that, you know, when you talk to them, you know, their, their personality just doesn't ooze. Uh, you got to somehow connect them into the bigger group so they can feel that they fit in and belong. And then once you develop that relationship, you know, you'll, you'll find that they'll open up to you and they'll begin to share the things that are going on in their lives. And, and you can see God do some real work in young people's lives when, when that, that support is there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You said something earlier that, that I, I wanted to come back to. You was talking about the when we was talking about the book, and, and uh, you said uh, the book Breaking Generational Strongholds. And so in the church world, you know, particularly from us, Henry, we both come from a spirit-filled, charismatic background. I know in the church world when we see uh, teenagers, people struggling with the stress, anxiety, the addictions, you know, that you talk about in your book, a lot of times our answer is, well, you got to anoint him with oil, lay hands on him, cast that devil out, you know. And, uh, and listen, not negating the God, the God card at all. We know that, that, that there's power in God. We know God can, can break, ja- break chains and break strongholds. But maybe talk about that, breaking the generational stronghold. Because I know, I know your heart. I've, we've, we've talked a couple times. It's more than just you need to pray it off of them and cast it out of them. How, what does that look like, that process? How do, how do we begin to move people through those that, 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 that steps in their life? Well, we, we have to understand that, 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 that we are God's hands and we are God's feet and we are God's mouth. And, and for, for young people, as, as well as older people, many times when they're going through struggles and things, it's hard for them to pray. It's hard for them to, you know, um, do those kind of things, read the scripture. Uh, when people are emotionally pained, when you get upset, when your emotions upset, understand there's a part of the brain in the very front of the brain called the, the prefrontal lobe. And that part of the brain uh, doesn't develop in humans fully all the connections till you're about 24 years old. That part of the brain controls judgment and morality and, and right and wrong. And so a lot of young people, you know, they, they intellectually know right and wrong. They know what right and wrong is, but when they get upset and when they get emotionally distressed, that part of the brain is not available to them to make good decisions. You know, their emotions, 
their emotional state hijack their best thinking and thus they make all kinds of terrible decisions and you know and a lot of times we we look at these young people and we think well you know you should act like an adult well you know biologically they're just not there yet and that's why it's so important to have the support it's it to have people who understand this that young people are going to mess up and they're going to mess up and they're going to mess up and and we don't need to throw them away uh we we've got to be diligent about when we see them slacking off and begin to miss and not come around uh you know we we've got to be assertive and to go finding out because they may not respond the very first time you show up and try to talk to them in fact they may push you away because they're so angry and they're so ashamed of what they've done but but my experience is if you'll maintain that relationship God will work in that young person's life and you will find them drawn back to his spirit but but understand that that hurt there's another thing you need to understand you know a lot of these you know individuals have been hurt deeply you know and we'll 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 put the guilt card on them and we'll say things like well you just need to you know forgive it and go on you need just need to forget it and say things like that to them but understand you know biologically again it takes between six to seven months for the brain to process forgiveness wow. a lot of times we just want people to just get over it yeah. and in a week or two if they're not making progress we feel like they're not trying but we need to understand that it takes time for people to heal even when they're trying to do what god wants them to do yeah Wow, that's six to seven months to kind of get to that process. What I hear you saying a lot of, Henry, is, is uh, and, and again, we see this in youth ministry, for those who, who've maybe been in youth ministry longer than two weeks, <laughs> that it's, it's going to be a process. It's going to be dirty. It's going to get messy. It's not going to be easy. Um, talk about a little bit of the emotions that you see with teenagers, again, young men, and, and then I'm gonna, I want to ask a couple questions, particularly in the ministry context that you do inside the, the prison but talk about a little bit, all right, a student has started coming. Maybe they're opening up to me. I know that they're struggling with uh, drug and alcohol addiction, or I know they're struggling with, with physical harm, and they're starting to let me in their life. We're walking through some things. Maybe speak a little bit. What have you seen? Maybe you talk about it in your book. What are those emotions? What are those feelings that students begin to to feel once they have someone in their life? What are maybe some of the struggles after you've been let in? Hopefully that question makes sense. What are some of the struggles that you might face after that student has let you in and you begin to walk through this process? I, th I think a lot of young people are shame-based. They, they, and what I mean by that is they have a poor um, and a negative self-image about themselves. Yeah. Um, what do you think that, let, let me stop you there. What okay. do you think that, that, that stems from just that poor negative self-image. Where do you think a lot of that comes from? Well, I think it comes from our our perfectionistic society that we've got to look a certain way, we've got to perform a certain way. You know, B's are not good enough. Everybody's always got to have A's. Uh, you know, I've got to go to college. I've got to, you know, I be first string on the football team or the basketball team. Uh, we've got to always get it right there we 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 have very little tolerance for people when they fail we have what i call unrealistic expectations about people yeah. people are going to fail yeah. and understand people are going to get hurt mm -hmm. and church just to be honest you know there's a lot of scripture in the bible that talks about you know uh, getting along with one another right. it talks about forgiveness and how we should forgive and how we should you know do those kind of things if god didn't know that church was going to be a hurtful place <laughs> he wouldn't have put all of those verses in the bible for us to know how to deal with yeah. it yeah so true so it's unrealistic to think that you're going to you know be in a church, have relationship with people, whether it's a church or on a job or on a, on a football team or whatever, that there's not going to be times of, of conflict and there's not going to be times that people get hurt. But the problem is that, that people, instead of immediately dealing with that hurt like the scripture tells us to, you know, the scripture tells us to forgive quickly, yeah. just like 
Jesus forgave us. Right. You know, I remember when I went and prayed for for Jesus to save me, and I told him about all my sinning at 12 years old, which was really some heavy stuff, you know, in the beginning. For me, it was as serious as anybody. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, uh, that's a good prayer, son. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll send you some forgiveness. Yeah. That was not how it worked. Right. You know, when I called on him, he immediately and instantly forgave me. That's good. But people who suffer with shame, they think they've got to earn God's love and they got to earn God's forgiveness. And some of us in the church, sad to say, we think people have got to earn. That's good. And, you know, and we say, well, I'm going to put you on probation. Uh, and if we don't actually put them on a formal probation, we put them on a probation in our own mind is, you know, I can't use you for so long because you messed up. That's so good. Uh, we got to understand that, that there's a thing called grace. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about not using wisdom here. I'm not talking about in that sort of way. But, but they need to be welcomed and they need to be, you know, comforted in the body when they mess up you know we don't need to treat them as though they've committed the most worst sin in the world and no one's ever done it right we we have to understand that that we are all a work in god's hands today yeah that's so good i love that so the students they come they're they're walking through their shame they're walking through their guilt you're talking about man extending the grace you know, showing them the mercy of God, showing them the forgiveness. What maybe after that, or as you see, as we continue to walk through like a student being healed, what, what's maybe some other things that you would say, you know what, look for this as well. This is going to happen. They might experience this. They're, you know, they're, they're going to struggle along the way. You know, forgiveness is a decision. That's what the Word of God says. Forgiveness is a decision. And they're going to struggle with feelings. So, so many people believe that you got to feel like forgiven in order to forgive. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that, that's, I call the devil, I call him the pain whisperer because he whispers, you know, to us when we've been hurt. He comes to us in the middle of the night. He whispers negative things to us, and he whispers to young people, and they've made a decision to forgive, but their feelings kick in. Yeah. And they get based in feelings, and they think, well, I've really not forgiven them because I don't feel like I have. That's but good. the decision is made, you know, on the word of God, not on our feelings. Yeah. It's not based on what we think or what we understand. You know, the scripture talks about, you know, that we not lean on our own understanding. But, you know, we may not understand why and how that we got hurt. And we don't, you know, we may have been doing really, really good. We may have been doing great and something just come and knock us down and, and we get hurt uh, you know, the enemy has a way of hitting us blindsided sometimes, yeah. but we have to learn, you know, to stay in the word and stay with that decision to forgive. And, and in a long enough period of time, and like I said, six to seven months it takes for the brain yeah. to process it, it's not going to happen overnight. We need to be realistic about, you know, the situation and not expect people just to, to get up and start walking as they did the next yeah. day. And, and I like what you just said there, Henry, about the feelings, because we have a culture that's so in, inundated, particularly to our students, that, well, if you feel this way, you got to be this, and if you feel this way, you're this. And, and even in youth ministry, if we're not care careful in our strive to be so relevant, and if our strive to beat them there, we can almost even feed into that because they can become nothing more than just emotional experiences. You know, and it's not based on the truth. So even talk about that in the ministry context. Again, because you've been in the ministry for a while, Henry. You've seen what works. You've seen what doesn't work. When it comes even to the youth ministry, yeah, you want excitement, hype, cool stuff happening. But again, if we just make it just about an emotional feeling, an emotional experience, well, we've kind of done more damage than good in their own personal walk. So, so again, what what's some things that, some tangible, applicable things that you would say to ministry leaders listening today that, all right, hey, here's some things you can do to kind of to kind of go against the grain on that, to make it more than just even feelings in in the ministry context. I, I think we have to have a strong foundation in the Word. Uh, when everything else falls around, you know, falls down around us, 
when we don't feel like doing right, when we don't understand what God's trying to do in our lives. And, and I've lived long enough to know that there have been times when I thought, my God, where is this going? <laughs> Where's this, you know, why this decision? Yeah. Why did you let this happen? Yeah. Why did you let that happen? And, you know, and I was trying to lean to my own understanding. You know, a lot of us try to overthink things. We try to figure it out when the words is very clear about who knows the mind of God? Yeah. Who who who's His counselor? Who's who's going to tell God how to run His business? Right, right. We have to understand that, you know, that that He's working a work in us that maybe at present we don't understand what He's trying to do. Yeah. But down the road, in in a little while, we'll go. Okay, that's what God was trying to do in my life when He let me go through that. Yeah. Because you know, God, you know, this world is is not for us. And we are not for our own. And God uses us as he chooses to use us to do and perform his work. Yeah. And there's many times when I thought God had forsook me. There's many times when I thought God was mad at me because things were not good in my life. But only to come that I had to hang on. Yeah. And then I understood. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, man. So good. I love it, Henry. I love it. And what you said, the foundation, man, it's the word of God that is unchanging. It's the word of God that when you feel like it, I was telling a student a couple Wednesday ago, we were talking, she was asking me about forgiveness and what you said earlier. I don't feel like I want to forgive. And I told her, I said, I don't feel like I want to preach some Wednesdays. Absolutely. You know, I don't feel like I want to, you know, do what I do sometimes. And but but if I I don't I don't let my feelings drive me. It's the word of God. It's man, I, I love that, Henry. That's that's good stuff. Let, let me ask you this, because as, as I was thinking and I knew you was coming into town and, and what you was going to share, looking at your ministry context of now what you do in the prison systems, and, and you're, doing more, uh, you're doing more after the fact, after they've went through and, and you know, someone didn't help them and they're there in the prison. What are, what are one or two things, because again, in youth ministry, we're trying to be, yes, we're trying to get them to heaven. And yes, without a doubt, we want to get them to know Jesus. But we're also trying to develop young people that make good life choices, mm -hmm. become good young men and women in society, good moms and dads, good church members. As you work in the, pri in the, in the prison ministry context, what's one, two, three? I don't know, Henry. It might, might be more than that. Recurring things that every time you talk to somebody, their problems begin to always trace back. I know we've talked about unforgiveness, some things like that, some stress, anxiety, but you can always start drawing the dot all the way back yeah. to the same. I, I can I can almost always draw, you know, go back to their lives that that they experience some sort of emotional pain, some sort of trauma in their life. I can't tell you how many times that I've talked with guys in prison and we and we got to talking about, you know, why they started, you know, abusing drugs you know a lot of young people you know have a curiosity and most young people today have tried a lot of substances you know a time or two or a week or two or a month or so but one of the things that i've seen and this is going to sound kind of curious but but i've seen this pattern over and over again is some sort of significant person in their life passed away who who was their source of affirmation and encouragement wow and and it almost always comes back in my experience to either a significant grandmother or a significant grandfather wow i cannot tell you how many times guys would tell me you know and they may may have had parents but that grandpa or that grandma was the person who always accepted them uh -huh. they didn't necessarily accept what they were doing right. but they accepted them as a person and whenever they got into trouble they always knew that grandpa was there even though grandpa may not could solve it and wouldn't stand against you know mom and dad right. but grandpa would listen grandpa would be there grandpa would take you fishing grandpa would say you're going to be something someday right and when that person um was gone and a lot of young people don't know how to grieve yeah they didn't know how to deal with that a lot of their parents didn't know how to grieve so it was just that whole situation was ignored and thus 
a lot of young people turn to drugs and their drug use if they had some escalated and if they never use all of a sudden they're doing that because that void there in their life yeah you said going back to that grandma that grandpa figure you said something really good that or it was someone like that that it would always accept them even though it didn't accept the situation or their decisions in a ministry context as a youth pastor as a youth leader listening today how do we begin to walk that out in the church world that again when we goes we look at the, we begin to weigh everything against the word of god what does that look like in an applicable way as we walk that through with our students yeah. well one thing i know about grandmas and grandpas were they were always confidential yeah okay good you know uh young people knew if they went to grandma and grandpa that whatever they told them wasn't going to be repeated yeah and i think one of the big needs in our society today of a day of false news yeah. and everyone trying to make some big deal out of the the least little thing you know to make it newsworthy and all like that the need for for people to be confidential when people come to them to tell them things that they know this is not going to become a part of a sermon somewhere. Right. This is not going to become a part of a Bible lesson that, uh, you know, there's not going to be a group that's going to get together and talk about this privately, supposedly. They've got to know that when they come and share something with you, that it is, it is going to be listened to. Yeah. And, and for all practical purposes, it's going to be forgotten and never brought to their attention again. Yeah. Never say, well, you remember how you were? I mean, even after maybe the problem has passed, you know, you have to be very careful, you know, about saying, you know, you know, five years ago you had a problem with this, didn't you, Billy? You know, because that will set that shame up quicker than anything I know. Yeah. We have to understand that when people come to us and confide in us, we need to know that it's not to go anywhere else. Yeah. I like that. And I, you just said something good, Henry, too, that, that sometimes just to listen. You know, a lot of times in the ministry aspect, at our fall retreat this past weekend, I had a young lady sit down with myself and someone on our team, and she began to open up about her struggles with, with her, her sexual identity, and she thinks she's transgender. And immediately the preacher, you know, the pastor right. side wants to quote scripture and, well, hey, this is who God says you are. But the mere fact that I just sat there and listened. Right you know, was, was like life-changing almost to this girl as well to know that she was sitting here talking to her youth pastor and he's not trying to quote scripture at her. You know, he's not trying to say this is wrong. He's not, but I, that I was just sitting there listening. Just talk, just say something about that. Just the mere fact that teenagers need people to listen. Well, to you know, I, I think a lot of times we, we think as ministers, as workers, you know, we, we learn all these Bible verses and we study all of these sermons and lessons and, and we, we get this mentality that we're supposed to fix everything. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to fix it. When you come in, you know, it's like being a, a mechanic at a garage. You know, a guy comes in and says, my, my car's not working. Well, you know, we start asking a bunch of questions. Well, you know, have you checked your battery? Have you checked your oil? Has it got gas in it? Yeah. You know, we talk about things that... All they know is the car don't work. You know, <laughs> yeah. they really, they, and, and the truth of the matter is, at that point, they're not trying to, you know, figure out what needs to be fixed. Yeah. They're just wanting to tell you it's broke. Yeah. And they're going to tell you what's broke, but right. give them a minute because right. I've been with guys that, you know, I was hurting and had a pain and, you know, and wanted to, you know, I just wanted to talk about it. And, and they said, well, you know, the Bible says, and, you know, and let's, let's pray. And, you know, most of our young people know what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, and, and they know what they need to do. Yeah. But, but because of the shame and the guilt, um, they're really paralyzed. Yeah. And what they really need to do is bleed off this pain with someone who's willing to, you know, listen to them, not judge them not tell them what to do, you know, if they cry, cry with them, if they laugh, laugh with them, uh -huh. you know, be there, be an active listener, 
you know, not sitting there listening, thinking, well, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Right. Well, here's a place I can put use this scripture because you're not <laughs> listening to them yeah. when you are thinking that way. And, and you will find they will unload. And what I find is once they've unloaded, they feel so much better than they do when they have talked for five minutes in a 50-minute session and we have sermonized in 45 minutes yeah. and they walk out and feel many times even more condemnation and shame because now you've hit them with the word right and, and, and it's like i'm just a bigger mess than i thought it was when i got in here and like you said after that 45 50 minute of just emotionally bleeding out and mm-hmm. and, and mentally bleeding out we even find out that they're even there they'll be a lot more open absolutely you know to say okay hey, what do you now what do you think you know that's so good i i i facilitate a a resentment group in in the prison where i work and, and i teach this material we're talking about but it, it, it's just completely a therapy group i have 10 guys in this group for an eight-week period and and it's not about me anymore it's about them to come in and tell their story um, i don't tell them what they need to do because most people truthfully are are bright enough it's been in their head so long you know the devil wants us to keep stuff in our head he does not want us to confess it out of our mouth because when it's in our head it's in darkness and God can only heal what's in the light and when we open our mouths up and we hear what's been going on in our heads many times we're able to work out our own problems you know, but we need that listening ear there, uh-huh. uh, that tangible human body, um, you know, to listen and, and to affirm them and, you know, not, not to tell them what's going on is okay, but to tell them that they're okay. Yeah. And God is able to help them no matter what the situation may be. Yeah, I love it. Talk, talk to, you know, and we'll maybe end on this question. I don't know. I might have some follow-up questions after this. Talk to Henry maybe what you see in this generation now, in the prison ministry that you do, seeing teenagers in your, in your local church. Maybe address a minute uh, for a minute just that uh, basically the, the elephant in the room that nobody likes to talk about, the lack of that father figure in people's lives. And, again, going back to the ministry context, maybe a man – Maybe, you know, a lady listening today, but, but talk about for a moment just the lack of that father figure and the importance of that and, wh- and what that has to do with play with what they're going through. That's a real, that's a real interesting question. Um, I do a trauma class, and, and I use an inventory called an Adversive Childhood Experience Inventory. It's a simple 10 question. Um, it's been used for years. It's not anything new, but it talks about 10 elements um, in a child's life before he reaches the, the age of 18. Uh, questions about verbal abuse, physical abuse, neglect, substance abuse in the home, uh, whether or not there was a family member incarcerated. But there, there is a, one of the questions is, um, during that eight, first 18 years of the life, did you, was your parents either divorced or separated or you did not know who your father or mother was. I've been tracking this since 2014 in the jail that I work in. And, I, and I, like I said, I, I got 48 guys in a six-month program. The number one item statistically for childhood trauma out of those 10 questions, there's only been two groups that that question about divorce, separation, and, and not raised by my biological father is not the number one factor. Wow. And if it's not number one, it's number two. Wow. The three items are always family ties, verbal abuse, and physical abuse. Wow. And so when I ask men how many of them in their, you know, were not raised in their family home. It's nearly every every guy in the room. Wow. The absence of that male figure, that father, mm-hmm. causes a young person to seek a male 
figure in their life. Right. And what's sad to say is many times the guys who are available to them are the guys on the street. Yeah. The guys on the corner, the guys that are out there with the flashy cars and the flashy jewelry and the fancy clothes and don't work for a living. Yeah. And at, and to a 13, 14, 15-year-old, that's real attractive stuff. Yeah. Because they've got time, you know, to be with that young man. And, and, and they can manipulate that young man to do all kinds of things because they know as a juvenile under the age of 18 that the consequences for them if they get caught doing something criminal is minimal compared to the consequences for a 25-year-old who does the same exact thing. Wow. Wow. So the importance even in the ministry context of being that mom, that dad figure, that family unit, again, not trying to copy uh, or take away from what they may have at home, but, but the importance of having that strong family, what you talked about, the small groups, you know, not just even relying on preaching sermons, but the small group atmosphere, listening. Good stuff, Henry, good stuff. What's, what's maybe, as we get ready to wrap up here, what's, what's one or two thoughts maybe you want to leave us with today, those who are listening, as, they, as, they, as we work with teenagers, you know, coming from hook to healed, what's, what's one or two things you'd like to say to us? Well, I, I'd really, you know, it, it would be great if, if, if youth pastors, uh, youth workers got training, you know, in this area of working. Yeah. I think a lot of them focus on training and preaching and teaching and maybe in music and, you know, a lot of those things that are a part of a, of a corporate service. You know, I've met a lot of people who, who, who love crowds but they don't care too much for people. Yeah, that's good. And in the ministry uh, today, uh, people can get lost in the crowd. Uh -huh. You know, having, you know, being able to preach to large numbers of people, you know, that's a great thing. I think every preacher, you know, wants to be able to have, you know, a congregation to preach to that way. But, but we cannot forget that those congregations are built, you know, one member at a time. And, and sometimes, you know, we have got to get some training in how to work with people one-on-one -on -one yeah. and how to resolve some of these issues because, you know, um, we lose them because of that. Small group ministries, whatever, whatever they're called, is so important today because of the isolation uh, that we have and, and whatever can be done for workers to get some training in this area uh, will benefit that that body because everything can't be done in a corporate service. Yeah. Everything cannot be done in an altar service, you know, on a Sunday uh, during a revival meeting. There is a need that once people get set free from these bondages, uh -huh. that there be people there to support them through the process of total healing. Yeah. And those people will become your greatest evangelists in your church because when they have been set free they can't keep it quiet yeah they've got to tell other people and other people with similar hurts will gravitate toward them because you know they will know you know what it feels like to be hurt what yeah. it feels like to be isolated they will become you know they will become evangelistic uh, on their own and they will bring other young people to your group because I came over here and got help. Yeah, that's good. So good, Henry. So good. What if people are listening today, Henry, maybe maybe they want to reach out to you, you know, maybe to even have you train their team, train themselves. What's an email? What's a way for people to contact you the best way? Henry? Probably the best way uh, email me. Um, my email address is Henry Griff. H-E-N-R-Y-G-R-I-F-F at AOL.com. And, and that's the best way to contact me. Um, you know, I do have a book on this material that we're sharing here. And how do uh, they get in touch with that book? Yeah, if, if, you'll, if you'll send me an email, I can ship that to you if you give me your address. Uh, the book is $10. And, um, you know, I've got a little preview. If you email me and you, you would like to look at, you know, the cover and the contents, table of contents in there, you know, before you buy that to be sure that it's something that you really want, 
you know, I can send you that, and, you know, we can discuss whatever you want to do that way. If you'd like to contact me to come to your church, I mean, I, I work both in the secular world and, and the church world. Uh, you know, I go to hospitals. I, I go to churches. Uh, I don't really, you know, um, differentiate, you know, the material I use in the secular world. just doesn't have the scriptures in it. The format yeah. is still the same. But yeah. um, I've been to halfway houses. I've been to, you know, uh, street missions you know there's not too many places prisons <laughs> jails going to a prison today in fact and uh, i'm as at home in a prison as some people are at walmart yeah so i love it i love it henry thanks so much for hanging out with us today man i think you shared some great stuff to to give us some thoughts to uh to think about again if you want to contact henry uh he gave you his email we're going to put it in the notes section of the podcast so you can uh, be able to contact him i highly suggest you check out his book and uh, check out his ministry. I think it would help your student ministry quite a bit. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, two guys talking youth ministry. Yo, PJ, what did you think of Uncle Henry? I'm going to call him Uncle. What did you think of that, got, dude? To tell you the truth, like, some of that stuff, like, mind-blowing. Like, when he was talking about, like, David and his sons. Oh, listen. That's out of control. I, I'll be honest. I rededicated my life just uh, when he started talking about yeah. David. And his sons. Listen, that Henry was a guest at our church this past weekend, and I knew why he was in town. We just had to grab him, have him on our podcast. You can even go if you want to hear some more of of, of Henry's uh, Henry Griffin stuff. You can go to our church Facebook page, Heartland Christian Center, um, and check that out. He spoke two times uh, on Sunday morning, once on Sunday night. His Sunday night message, he expounded a little bit more on David and his sons and talked about some things there. But really, PJ covered a lot of good stuff, man, yeah. about about forgiveness, about hurts, about how do we begin to walk through uh, that process. I loved what he said about how God's forgiveness, he was talking about his own life, that how God's forgiveness is, it comes quickly. He doesn't make you come back. He doesn't say, hey, go and you wait for a week, you come see me in a little bit. And I think sometimes in our church, in the church world, we struggle with that, not just personally, but even when it comes to extending forgiveness to other people and teaching them how to do that as well. So uh, good stuff, man. Did no, you enjoy it, was, it? Oh, it was phenomenal stuff. It was good it stuff. It was crazy good. It was good stuff. We enjoyed hanging out with him. Uh, we had a good time. Listen, I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Again, hit Henry up. Go get his book. I cannot stress it enough. Make sure you get a copy stress of that. Stress it again real quick. Okay, I'm going to stress it. You need to go get his book. That is a must. Make sure you get that. See, I'm gonna and get if you want to get in contact with him, he told you how. We'll put his email uh, in the notes section of the podcast as well. And PJ, tell him one more time. If they want to get in contact with us, how do they do it? Yo, just hit us up. Matt at EssentialCoaching.us for your complaints. And then John at EssentialCoaching.us for all the praise. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, you've listened to another episode of two guys talking youth ministry thanks for listening